1: Hello, welcome along to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine, two in a week. Look at that. In this episode, we're chatting to Sarah Oakes. Her debut is The Dive, inspired by her own experience hearing about backpackers murdered in a hotel in Thailand. You can hear why being an impatient person affects her drafting, also her path to publication, and why getting the agent doesn't always mean everything falls into place right away.
0: And then when I did get my agent, I will, I will note that it wasn't just, you know, I got an agent and then immediately she started submitting my manuscript to uh, publishers. We I actually had my manuscript with my agent for close to a year. And uh, we went back and forth. She gave me several rounds of structural edits that made the book so much better than it was when I first submitted to her and it really was like I said close to a year before she started uh sending it out to publishers so that was probably the lengthiest part of the process for me actually
1: there is more with Sarah Oaks in this week's writer's routine yes welcome along to the show my name's Dan this is where we take a look through an author's working day just see how they get stuff done They take an idea uh, and get it down onto the page, however that is, however they plan their life around that. This week's episode is supported by The Return of King Arthur. It's an Arthurian fantasy trilogy by Jacob Sannox. There are three books in the series, The Raven Master's Revenge, Agravain's Escape, Tristan's Regret 2. They are a fascinating take on history novels, a real twist on the form, and particularly the stories of King Arthur see, they're dual timeline novels working from 2019 onwards uh, whilst flashing back to the 5th century and other key historical moments. Take a listen to the first one, the setup: It's called The Raven Master's Revenge, and King Arthur is back. He needs to stop the Raven Master. In 2019, Merlin's wayward apprentice has escaped from the Tower of London with his raven familiars, and if you know anything about English myths, you'll know when the ravens leave the tower it's meant to signal that the country will fall. So it's all down to King Arthur, a weary veteran of the English Civil War, Waterloo and the Somme. Can he stop the Raven Master exacting revenge? It's such an interesting twist on historical novels, blending modern day fantasy with a touch of a crime thriller uh, with historical fiction in there too. And the research that goes into this must have been something to tie up all the historical fact with your own fantastical ideas the book was a semi-finalist in the self-published fantasy book off competition which is run to help promote indie authors and that's what i love about self publishing that it gives authors with incredible ideas a way to do it themselves to get their books out there without the traditional cutting and snipping that goes with the gatekeeping in other forms of publishing now, if you love fantasy fiction, so Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, George R.R. R. R. Martin, Game of Thrones, with a sprinkling of crime like Lee Child and some good old historical novels like Bernard Cornwell, I really think you'll enjoy these. The series is The Return of King Arthur. Uh, there are three books in it the raven master's revenge agravain's escape and tristan's regret they are supporting the show this week they're all by jacob sannix you can get copies in all forms online right now over on amazon or by getting to jacob's website jacob find out more there let's get to it then with sarah oakes She divides her time between America and Sweden, which has given her a great grasp of different cultures, which has come in handy for a novel that travels all around the globe. Also, Sarah works as an attorney and a law professor, and her new novel is The Dive. It's a thrilling crime mystery set in the seedy world of Thailand's party islands, all about a young woman who turns up dead during a scuba diving lesson. And the travellers realise that they're not the only ones who have fallen in love with the idyllic islands. A killer has to. What a blurb, what a hook. We talk about why she's organised in every part of her life, apart from the writing part. Also, why she's thinking rationally about the future. No one knows... What success will look like, so Sarah's still splitting her eggs across different baskets. You can hear how she made the characters from around the world feel authentic and genuine, not stereotypical and stock. And we run through how much advice she's been given from agents and editors, how forcibly that stays with her. Or does it come through in dribs and drabs? How conscious is remembering what you've been told? We find out with Sarah Oakes, author of The Dive. And we jump into it, as we always do, with what Sarah sees around her in the place where she sits down to the right.
0: Uh, so I wrote most of The Dive when I was living in Kentucky. And I had this really, really great kind of sunroom office uh, which had, you know, windows kind of on all of the walls that looked out into our backyard. And it was just a really, really pleasant place to write. So like a lot of natural light. Um, I had a desk that looked out directly out into one of the windows. So we used to, we had like a ton of, really strangely, we had a ton of wildlife in our backyard. So it was, there was always something to kind of distract me when I when I needed it. So it was kind of a really nice just... Space for um for inspiration, I guess.
1: So you've got things that very inspire you that are outside where you wrote in Kentucky. Uh, just take us through what what was on the walls. Anything inspirational there? Maybe something a bit more practical. The things for the novel, perhaps.
0: Yeah. So um, not I guess not too much. Practical wise, uh, but I do uh, my uh, my first book, The Dive, and my subsequent books are really feature kind of an international exotic setting. Uh, So I've traveled quite a bit in my life. So I have kind of pictures of some of my travels on the walls, framed on my desk, and those serve as a bit of an inspiration. Um, I also had my nephew is ten; he actually turns eleven today. Uh, But he made me this stress ball, like a homemade stress ball that had a picture of a book with the title of the dive on it that actually came in really handy when I was writing and editing so that I had that on my desk. Uh, as far as practical wise, I would say I have two monitors, which makes a huge difference when I write. So I have my laptop and I also have kind of an extra monitor so that I can have, you know, my writing document up on one and kind of the research i need on the other or you know spotify playing whatever music i have in the background that kind of thing
1: the the two monitors i've heard that the two monitors comes in handy um uh, t- talk to us about the research or the planning that you would have on one of those like what form did it take how detailed and extensive was it
0: so it wasn't too much i guess that might have been a little bit misleading there wasn't too much actual kind of like internet research that I did for my first book. My first book was really largely based on my experience, my travel experience. So it, the dive is set in uh, on a remote island in Thailand. So a lot of that was based on my kind of memories from visiting that place. Uh, so as far as research, sometimes I would pull up kind of the Google Maps of the island, actually, to just kind of get an idea of where everything was taking place and how far you know the characters would have to drive from the setting of one scene to another. Sometimes I would pull up pictures uh, from my own travels on that island uh, or just kind of information about the island itself. Uh, but there really wasn't too much kind of extensive research, I suppose, going on for that book.
1: And talk us through the desk. I've spoken to some authors before that have traveled quite extensively and bring back like totems or things that reminds them of the place that perhaps they're writing or just grounds them. What's around you on the desk or wherever you write? What's close by?
0: I wish I had, you know, some really good answer to that. I wish I had, you know, all sorts of like souvenirs and tchotchkes on my desk from all the places I've been to. But I really, I, I don't too much. I mean, I have... Like I said, some framed pictures from the places I've gone to uh, with friends or with family. Uh, I have, you know, coasters. Strangely enough, I guess those could count as souvenirs from some of the places that I visited. Uh, I have candles because I'm a huge candle person, especially when I'm writing. I have, you know, a notebook that I use mostly for just to jot down random notes or also for to-do lists, primarily for to-do lists. And then I have, this is kind of weird, um, I have fruity gum, which I've realized (laughs) I actually rely on quite a bit when I'm writing or when I'm working. Uh, I don't really know. It's not really a healthy habit, but that's usually pride of place on my desk as well. Oh, and coffee and water, of course.
1: All the coffee, as always. Um, Always. I'm interested in software and fonts, like with with your – two monitors going on uh what do you write on there
0: so kind of a complicated process i would say um of course at first when i'm first starting to draft i use scrivener uh love scrivener i think it's great to kind of help me outline my chapters and figure out exactly what goes where um and i usually use scrivener for what i call my half draft. So I'm really bad at outlining. I'm an incredibly (laughs) impatient person. So I can't force myself to kind of write out a long structured outline. I'm just too eager to get to the writing process. So usually I'll jump right into drafting kind of with just a really rough basically outline of where the story is going to go. And then I write what's called a half draft or what I call a half draft. Um, And that's just me basically plugging in maybe the beginning, maybe some scenes towards the end, basically just all the scenes that I have in my head at that point and kind of leaving space for other chapters, other scenes that I know are going to come later. And then when I usually get to quite often about halfway through the drafting process, uh, with as far as word count goes, at that point I'll switch to writing my full draft where I kind of go back and plug in everything that's missing. I fix what you know might not be needed anymore from that first half draft um, and kind of expand on the characters and all of that. But when I switch from that half draft to the full draft, I actually switch from scrivener to word. Um, and that's I don't know, weirdly kind of like a treat for me (laughs) for some reason. Uh I kind of look forward to that switch. So I'll I'll start kind of planning out in Word. And then as far as fonts go, I am kind of a font nerd. Um so when I'm writing on Scrivener, I can't remember actually if this is the kind of built-in font that it comes with, but I use a font called Sitka or Sitka Banner. Um, which I quite like. And then when I'm in Word, I switch to Times New Roman. Uh, So quite boring, double space, 12 point. Once I get to that, once I get to that Word, full draft.
1: That is extensive. I'm really interested in this half draft idea. I've spoken to authors before who, uh, excuse me, will write in order. uh, But if, if they're kind of feeling like it's not coming, they might jump forward a little bit. But I've, I don't think I've spoken to someone who's taken as much of a kind of scattergun approach as as you. How have you landed on that way of doing things, of writing this bit and then maybe a bit, a little bit forward, then maybe coming to the end? How, How have you landed on this?
0: I really don't know, to be honest. It just kind of worked. Like, I like I said I'm very impatient so I, I once I had kind of an idea of a really good scene or a, a scene that I really wanted to write I would just switch to writing that and sometimes it would be the scene that came you know linearly after the scene I just written sometimes it would be you know way further along in the plot and I realized when I'm excited to write those scenes you know I wanted take advantage of that excitement because I feel like writing that scene will come out a lot better if I'm excited about it than if I kind of just put it off and lose momentum. Um, But I will say I kind of like to pride myself on being, you know, a very organized person in most aspects of my life. And I, you know, I love calendars. I love to do lists. I love checking things off, but when it comes to my writing process and especially that first draft, it's really a hot mess. So I don't know exactly how I landed on this, but it seems, it seems to be working out at least for now.
1: So the debut is out, The Dive, and that's how you've written this so far. Um, hoping this gets some success and then you have more and more books. Uh, how much do you feel that the more organized side of you might filter into your writing life when you need to get a book down a year?
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping, I'm very hopeful that I will become much more organized as I move forward with the writing process. However, I will say I've written the first draft of my second book. um, And I said, I sat myself down. I said, Sarah, you know, (laughs) this time you're going to do an outline. You're going to treat this process, you know, in an organized manner. And I think that lasted for maybe a day and a half. And then I was right back doing what I'd done before, writing that half draft. I I got, you know, maybe a page done of the outline, and then I was just too eager to write. So it ended up being a very similar process to uh, what it was drafting the first book. So I don't know, I'm hopeful I'll become more organized in this process. And I like to think I'm fairly organized when it comes to the editing process. But that first draft is kind of just... Any way I can get through it really is what I'll take at this point.
1: I've been talking a lot about life experience with writers on the show recently and how perhaps the types of books that you'll write uh, changes depending on uh, how old you are, what stage of life you are and what you've done before. Now, um, you've traveled all around the world and you wrote this book in Kentucky, but now you're living in Sweden. Is that right?
0: i'm actually I'm kind of split between Sweden and North Carolina and the United States at the moment um so i'm I'm currently right now I'm in North Carolina. we just moved into into a house here, but half of my life is still back in Sweden, so we're kind of splitting our time um between the two continents, which is just as complicated as it sounds
1: <laughs> how How do you think all that traveling and that kind of flying around and living in different places? How uh, Aside from the actual plot, how much did that experience equip you for being able to write and get published at the stage of your life when you did? Do you think if you'd have come straight out of high school and tried to get published, you, you would have been in a much worse position because you hadn't really experienced much of life?
0: Yeah, I do think that's true. Actually, I like to think that, you know, this sounds so cheesy. So forgive me. I like to think that um, kind of like each one of my trips or each one of my travels kind of shapes me uh, in a different way. And I think I would not be the person that I am today, or definitely wouldn't have any of the experience that I have today if I had not traveled. Um, and specifically, it's travel to me is about kind of seeing new places and also interacting with new people. So a lot of the people, a lot of the characters that I include in, in my, in the dive and also in in the second book that I've just finished drafting, it are based on maybe not specific people. Some are based on specific people, but more kind of a type of person that I I've met along my travels so I think there's a lot there's a lot of my personal experiences in the dive for instance because I went to the island on which the dive is based you know I scuba dived there um, I did a lot of the things that the characters in the books in the in the book uh, have engaged in minus the murder of Cur- of course um, but I do think that you know a lot of that experience is a lot of my experience is in the books and I certainly wouldn't have had, my books certainly wouldn't have been as interesting if I wrote them coming out of high school where I had done no very little travel and did not have much life experience. Yeah, so it, it really depends, I guess, on uh, the time of the year at which I'm writing. So I have a day job as a law professor, uh, which takes up quite a bit of my time. Uh, so I kind of... When I can, I try to schedule my writing around the job and try to schedule my deadlines uh, when my day job isn't too hectic. But of course, that was a lot easier uh, with my first book because I didn't really have any deadlines. I was really just writing that for myself. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult balancing the two when it comes to book two when I do have these strict deadlines from my publisher, from my agent, etc. cetera. Um, but... When I am kind of in the midst of, of a semester when I'm in the midst of my day job a typical day for me would look like uh, waking up kind of around 5:30 if I'm if I'm being really motivated maybe closer to six if I'm if I'm tired uh, waking up kind of heading downstairs to my desk brewing some coffee of course um, and drinking one or two or maybe three cups, depending on how the day is going. And I usually during that morning hour, I try to reserve or during the morning, I try to reserve a full hour for uh, for drafting or for editing, depending on where I am in the process. And so in that hour, I really strive to get close to a thousand words. Sometimes it works. Sometimes the words just aren't flowing and I'll hit, you know, 300, 400 words. Uh, but regardless of where I am, kind of at seven on the dot, uh, I get up, I move away from my desk, I'll go outside and usually go for a run. I'm a big runner. Uh, and during that time that I'm running, maybe some of those thoughts from the words I wrote in the morning will be percolating. So if I get back and I have additional uh, thoughts to jot down, I'll do that really quickly and then I'll get ready for work, I'll go to work. Um, and then when I come back in the evening, if I didn't hit that thousand word goal that I had in the morning, I will usually try to kind of finish it off in the evening, usually with some wine, which I, I love to drink wine in the evening when I'm writing. Um, or even if I just feel like I I have more thoughts to get down on the page that I didn't, didn't get down in the morning, I'll use that evening time. Uh, But most of the time, most of my dedicated writing time is in the morning. And then before I go to sleep, I usually spend about, you know, between a half hour or an hour reading. Um, It's kind of something that I need to do to fall asleep. So that's usually when I'm catching up on, you know, the most recent thrillers, uh, reading for blurbs, all of that kind of thing. So it's a a pretty full day.
1: How much does... Uh, the break for the day job if you can call that a break being a law professor how much does that how helpful is that do you think if in a few years time your writing is so successful that this is what you're able to do full-time could you see that being very useful to you or is it really handy having that bit in the middle just so you can really focus your writing that you know you've only got two hours or so a day to get it done.
0: Yeah, I think it is actually really helpful for me. So i um, I am someone that really kind of works best under pressure and works best when I'm busy. So if I have a lot of things kind of scheduled through my day and I only have you know an hour or an hour and a half to get writing done, I find that I'll get the same amount of words. Down in that hour, an hour and a half, than I would if I had the entire day available just for writing. So I, I kind of need that pressure, I suppose. I don't know what that says about me, but I kind of need that pressure um, to get the words down. So I think kind of having most of my day reserved for my day job does help with that, and also in some ways, I suppose you know, as I'm getting ready for the book to for the dive to to come out into the world. Um, it's, it almost takes some of the pressure off a a little bit in some way, you know, I have my day job, which I absolutely love. Um, So if I don't know if I should be saying this, but if the dive, you know, isn't successful, you know, it's not like I have all of my eggs in one basket, I suppose. So it does, it does kind of help me both Mentally and emotionally, I would say to kind of have both things going. I don't know how sustainable that is in the long term if the writing career does take off after this. But um, for now, that's what's working.
1: At the start of every day, when you've woken up at five in the morning, um, uh, you obviously love writing. But I mean, that's early, even with two plus cups of coffee in you. How how hard is it to, uh, well, forgive the pun, to dive into the story.
0: Um, I'll give you you know the typical law school response. I guess it depends. Some days I wake up you know really excited to write, and then I would say there are many many days where I'm I don't have that excitement. I would say I'm I kind of dread it. Uh, I just don't feel like I'm kind of slogging through the motions. The words aren't really there. Um, And, you know, some days I don't hit that thousand words, even if I come home and try to write in the evening, it's just not there. Um, And I'd rather, you know, I suppose I'd rather the words that I do get down be good rather than just kind of writing fluff just to just to have words on the page. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's normal to have those days as well. And I will certainly say I have quite a lot of them.
1: That's really handy. And and at the start of the day, uh, how much idea do you have of what you're going to be working on for hopefully a thousand words?
0: Yeah, it kind of, again, it depends. I'm going to be a broken record, I guess, with this answer. Um, but it depends on kind of where I'm at in the process, how, how deep I am into the drafting process. I mean, I think it's difficult, especially at the beginning, uh, when I'm just kind of starting to know the characters and understand the plot and exactly what's happening to really be engaged to write each day. I think uh, when I'm kind of further along, so for instance, once I move from that half draft to my full draft, that's usually when things kind of really pick up and, and my writing count gets higher each day um, because I'm so excited about being close to the finish line and seeing how the story unfolds uh, towards the end. And I think it's really at um, at that point, that I have a much clearer idea of what I will be writing every day. Um, because, you know, at that at that point, usually I kind of see a pathway to the end, to the climax of the story. And then that at that point, things are a lot clearer to me. So I do think it gets easier, I suppose, as I move from my half draft to my full draft.
1: You mentioned Spotify playlist. What do you tend to listen to? What gets you in the right frame of mind?
0: So... <laughs> again, it depends. Oh my (laughs) gosh. Um, but I will say when I was writing the dive, um, I actually had, you know, kind of a playlist that I made. Uh, there was a lot of just kind of, you know, folksy, uh, like slow, uh, kind of just like acoustic songs. And then a lot of, uh, songs that didn't have any lyrics. So they were just kind of a melody. And I found that really helped, Um, when I was, and I've always been someone who's worked and who's written, uh, alongside music, but for some reason, I don't know what, what it is that changed. But in writing the draft of my second book, I found that I couldn't listen to music at all. Uh, so who knows why? I don't know if something switched off in my brain with that, but, uh, yeah, I guess it depends on, on the book.
1: Describe to us what you mean when you say you couldn't write to music at all. What was happening? What was the block getting in the way?
0: I don't. It was almost like I couldn't, like the music was kind of interfering with my thought process and I couldn't focus. I tried listening to the same music that I was listening to while I was writing The Dive. I tried, you know, different songs and kind of that same arena, that same genre of music. I tried more um, non lyrical stuff and just none of it was really helping so I just turned it off and realized I was a lot more it, it just the words flowed a lot better without having that background music which was really strange for me to adapt to
1: I've had uh, like quite a few people emailing recently wanting to know about that like the process of getting to where you are like having a debut coming out um it's it's not so many, uh, something I usually ask but I, I'm 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 interested Uh, like, what were the steps you took when you had the idea or when you were partway through the manuscript? What did you do to get the agent? What did you do to get it kind of out there by a publisher?
0: Yeah, that's a really great question. And this is something I think when I was at that stage, when I was trying to get an agent, these are kind of the stories that I was scrolling the internet trying to find about how other authors kind of got to the place that where they had their book published. So I'm really happy to share my journey. Um, I think in retrospect, my journey to publication was very quick. Uh, so I began writing the dive in November, 2020, uh, really started writing in November, 2020 and ended up having a draft, I would say June, 2021, um, and obviously, it needed a, a lot of editing. And I probably could have spent, I don't know, years just tinkering with that with that draft and not having kind of the guts to send it out to agents because I really didn't let anybody around me, only the people that were closest to me, my family, my husband, a select few friends knew that I was writing a book. Um, I was really cautious to tell anyone and I wouldn't let anybody read it. Uh so I was terrified to send it to agents because no one had read it. I wasn't sure kind of what the reception would be. Um so at the time there is unfortunately I don't believe it exists anymore, but there was this kind of Twitter pitch contest uh called Pitmat And on your Twitter, you could tweet out a very short pitch for your book on a specific date and time and agents would participate and they would like your tweet, you know, if they wanted you to submit the the manuscript or submit your query letter and all your material to them. So it was just kind of a way to, you know, get exposed to agents and also, especially for me, to have some validation that agents would actually want to read uh, what I've written. So I did that Pitmad contest and I did get I think I got like 2 to 3 likes from agents and that was just honestly what the motivation I needed like the impetus for me to start sending it out more widely. So I sent my you know my materials, my query letter, my synopsis, whatever each agent required. I sent it of course to the two or three agents that liked my pitch on Pitmad and then I also sent it to probably about six or seven uh, other agents who I had found through basically the agents that represented the authors that I really like. Um, And I submitted it to them. And then I ultimately, thankfully, I received two offers of representation, one from um, an agent in the US, one from an agent in London. And I ultimately accepted representation from my current agent, Kate Burke, uh, with Blake Friedman Literary Agency. Which it's just been an absolute dream uh, to work with her. So I think I got really lucky. It was a fairly quick process. And I I honestly don't know if I would have worked up the courage to submit um, my query materials to agents without PITMAD. So it was certainly kind of what I needed to, to get moving. But um, and then when I did get my agent, I will I will note that it wasn't just you know, I got an agent and then immediately she started submitting my manuscript to uh, publishers. We I actually had my manuscript with my agent for close to a year. and uh, we went back and forth. She gave me several rounds of structural edits that made the book so much better than it was when I first submitted to her. And it really was, like I said, close to a year before she started. Uh, sending it out to publishers. So that was probably the lengthiest part of the process for me, actually.
1: What types of things was uh, she saying when she's coming back with these edits? Obviously, she is vastly experienced with books and with helping people like you get published. What type of things are you working on together?
0: Yeah, so I would say kind of one of the biggest things that ended up being fixed during that process, during those rounds of edits was originally, my, my book has two, for the most part, two uh, different narrators. And when I first submitted to her, I had the first, I believe, nine or 10 chapters were one narrator. And then the next nine or 10 were the second narrator. And then they started alternating. And uh, Kate, my agent, She suggested that I instead, right off the bat, kind of alternate the narrators, one chapter for Cass, one chapter for Brooke. And that, of course, was, in retrospect, certainly the right move. But it was a ton of work, uh, because I had to kind of change the perspective of each chapter. I had to change kind of what details, what clues, if you will, were coming out for each character in each chapter. Um, And then I will say another big thing that she helped me with was I when I'm drafting, I have a really hard time with what what we refer to as like the saggy middle where things kind of, you know, things are really exciting. A body is found at the beginning. And of course, the ending when the murderer is revealed is very exciting as well. But there's always kind of that those few chapters in the middle of the manuscript where just not much is happening. So she helped me kind of amp that up. And uh, include a few more twists and a lot more action in the middle of the manuscript, which I think was really helpful.
1: And, and moving forward, those lessons that you learned there—how front and center are they in your mind? Like, I'm always interested in in the kind of the, the growth of an author, like how you get better. Is 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 that something you're consciously remembering and doing, or is it a much slower process where you're gradually? getting better just simply by virtue of doing writing a lot more
0: yeah i i think the former actually um i think when i was drafting book two i mean the the things that i spent so long correcting in book one were something that were you know at the forefront of my mind so pacing was a big thing for me um and something that i was constantly thinking of you know when it came to switching narrators, and the saggy middle and all of that stuff. And I actually just received uh, my agents edits back. And I do still have a saggy middle in book two. But thankfully, I don't think it's going to require too much change as book one. So um, they I mean, the lessons, I suppose I learned from book one, were definitely at the forefront of my mind for book two. Um, But I think, you know, it's still a learning process. And we'll go with that,
1: and lastly on on the day, I mean, we've mentioned how you listen to the show that that you know means that you're quite interested in the way people write, what you can do to write better. Uh, what have you learned through writing the dive uh, that's made you think about how you work best? What do you need to get a good story down?
0: so i think I think the thing um That I really learned is from both listening to the show, my own experience, and then also reading, you know, books like Stephen King's On Writing is kind of, you know, what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for everyone. So when I was reading, for instance, Stephen King's On Writing, and he would um, kind of lay out his tips I realized I wasn't following a lot of them and I immediately felt so dejected. It's like, Oh, well, I mean, he knows what he's doing. He's an absolute expert. He's, he's the king of his field. I'm not doing that. And you know, so I'm doing something wrong. And it's, and I realized kind of, as I listened to, uh, your podcast and listen to other podcasts as well, and just kind of see different writers approaches and their routines that there really is not one way one good way of, of approaching, you know, drafting a book or, or writing a full novel. I think it's very individual. And this is actually something I say to my students, you know, who probably ignore this point when I tell them, but um, I tell them at the beginning of, you know, their first semester in law school is there's no one right way to approach law school. It's just kind of figuring out as you go, the study habits and, you know, the reading tricks that work best for you. And that's something that I'm, you know, I'm learning as well uh, as I write because I realize not many people, I suppose, have the same process that I do, and that's okay, which it's, you know, there's a lot of imposter syndrome in that, but I'm, I'm slowly learning that that's okay. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
1: Back with more from Sarah in a sec. Uh, this week we are supported by the brilliant historical fantasy series The Return of King Arthur. Three books in it, all by Jacob Sanex, The Raven Master's Revenge, Agravain's Escape, and Tristan's Regret. And if you love fantasy fiction, Tolkien, George R.R. Martin. Also, if you're keen on crime, like Lee Child, and... If you enjoy historical fiction, the traditional sort like uh, Bernard Cornwell, I think you'll really enjoy these ones. You can find copies in all forms online right now. Head to Amazon or Jacob's website, JacobSanix.com, to find out more about the Return of King Arthur series. They are supporting the show through our Patreon page. You can do that as well. If you've uh, published a book and you want to get it out there, uh, tell me all about it support us patreon.com forward slash writers routine so i can do the plugging for you also you get merch there is bonus content there is so much on there you're part of a writing community on our patreon page doesn't require a lot just a few dollars a month really helps us carry on going at patreon.com forward slash writers routine Let's get back to it then with Sarah Oakes and her debut, The Dive, all about a grisly murder on an idyllic Thai island. We talk about how she made characters from around the world feel genuine and authentic, not stereotypical and stock. Also, how much she knew about the story at the start, given that she doesn't plan much. And we get back into it, talking about The Dive and how the very first idea came to her.
0: 2015, so a little while ago. I actually traveled with two friends to Thailand. And we, as part of that kind of backpacking trip, we ended up at a Thai island in the very, you know, in the Gulf of Thailand, uh, very south. And it was honestly the most magical place I've ever been in my life. It was truly kind of like a paradise island. Um, It wasn't overrun with tourists. It still had a lot of its natural charm. Uh, It was a big scuba diving island and my friends and I actually got our scuba certifications while we were there. And I just, I fell so deeply head over heels for this island. Like I was, I really felt like this was somewhere I could live. I really considered kind of dropping everything in my life, you know, my career and all of that and moving and becoming an expat on this island because there was, you know, kind of a tight community of expats who had done just that. Um, and I found out while I was there that there had been a murder of of two British tourists on that island the year before I'd arrived. And it was something that I really couldn't kind of grasp at the time. Um, this kind of dichotomy between this beautiful, beautiful island and the horrible murder that had happened there. And then it was, you know, I kept thinking of this island as I returned home over the years, as, as I became a lawyer and as I pursued my career. Um, and it just—it was always there in the back of my mind. Like that's the paradise island I would like to move back to. And so during COVID, when I finally kind of had the time to to do whatever I wanted, I suppose, outside of of, of my work, as so many of us did, we were all stuck at home. Um, I started thinking about writing about that island and kind of, you know, that that strange darkness, I guess, that that may have existed there. Uh, in contrast to the beauty of the island, and I think that's that was really what sparked the idea for the dive.
1: And then, very simply, what happens next? Because by virtue of this, some of it actually happening, you know, that's what you're inspired by. I guess that's a lot more firmly rooted and laid out for you. So you've been to the island. Uh, what do you do next to kind of make this your own? How does a plot uh, come about from that initial seed?
0: Yeah, so I will say definitely I mean it definitely does not follow kind of the true story of the murders that happened on that on that island. That is very much just kind of like the seed like you said for for that idea. Um, as far as the plot goes, I I started you know with this setting. And the t- I wanted it to focus on that group of expats uh, that I was for a time so eager to join, and just I was really intrigued by this idea of you know I had always thought I'd thought about moving to this island, but there were such realistic things that kind of stood in my way of doing so. you know I had a career, I have family and friends, you know where I was living at the time. I couldn't just uproot my life. I was really drawn to kind of what type of people are able to uproot their life and move to this kind of secluded, remote Thai island um, and just drop everything. And I really wanted to explore like the different reasons, what people might be running from, what they might be running to. And that really helped the plot kind of expand for me.
1: And how much did you sit down at the start and really think this through? before you started writing that very first sentence? I know that you've said that you're very eager to get into it and and that you do the half draft, but what did you know about the entire thing before you started writing?
0: Not much. (laughs) Uh, Not too much, really. I did, you know, I tried. I really did try to do an outline. Um, And I had the beginning. I I knew what would happen at the beginning. I had a couple scenes in mind for uh, the middle and I had absolutely no idea About the end, I didn't know who the killer was. I really didn't know too much about how things were going to unfold, um, which I found to be fun at the time. In retrospect, it gives me a lot of anxiety thinking about that. Um, But yeah, so I I would say I had kind of the general story structure and the beginning scenes in mind when I when I started drafting.
1: So really, not that much at all. When did When did everything else become clear to you? I've spoken to authors before who don't know who the murderer is until they open the door in the scene at the very end of the book. (laughs) Uh, When did, I guess, different parts of the story become clear to you as you were writing?
0: Yeah, so it was, I think, I've I've said this before, but I think a lot of them, again, super cliche, a lot of the magic happens for me when I switch from that half draft to the full draft. So at that point, I kind of know it's time to switch from the half draft to the full draft. When I start having a very clear vision of kind of how the story is going to unfold and I can go back and kind of input the scenes uh, that are needed to move the plot forward and to develop characters. Um, so it's usually at that point that I have a very general idea of the plot and how things unfold I will say as far as you know the murderer and the very very ending it wasn't so extreme as you know I didn't know until I was writing that finish, final scene uh, but it was really kind of fairly late in the process I would say it was probably about 80 85 percent through the first full draft when I when I figured out the ending
1: did it require like deep brainstorming or was it just an epiphany one day
0: um i would it's required a lot of runs i would say so that's kind of where i do most of my plotting and my thinking is when i'm out running in the morning um so yeah i don't know i don't think it was necessarily a big epiphany it was just kind of a lot of thinking through um what it would mean if different characters were in fact the murderer
1: i think writing a story you know in a place like this with characters like this it could quite easily lead your characters to become quite cliched, you know? Uh, kids on a gap year, um, wearing the, the the pants, the trousers that they always wear with long, slightly braided hair, you know, that kind of the thing. elephant pants. Yeah, yes, r- yeah and ridiculous tattoo. Could be quite easy to make these characters very cliched. Uh, what did you do whilst writing them, whilst discovering who they were to try and move away from most cliches that people might be expecting from Western backpackers?
0: Yeah. So I did, I wanted some, I honestly did want to keep some of those cliches of Western backpackers because, you know, they're real. And those are the people that I did meet, you know, that everyone was wearing those elephant pants, you know, they were getting the tribal tattoos, all of that stuff. So for some characters, I did want to keep a little bit of an aspect of that. Um, but of course, I couldn't have every character be just that typical Western cliche. So what I did, uh, I made sure what was important to me that this was a very international cast of characters. So I wanted each person to be from a different country, each to have you know a radically different background, whether that's you know the way they grew up, their economic status, what have you. Um, so I will say the two narrators uh, are both American, but they do come from very kind of different. Standards of living and from different areas of the country. And the rest of the characters are from, you know, a variety of different countries. And they all had, I wanted them all to have a very specific reason for either escaping their past life or running away to this island. So I think by, you know, considering what that impetus was for them to come to the island itself, uh, that really kind of helped me round them out as characters.
1: Well, yeah, that that almost make things harder for yourself, though. If you're having a a multinational cast of characters that come from all around the world, you slightly leave yourself open for criticism that you're you're very simply getting it wrong. Uh, like, wh- wh- what did you do to at least have some authenticity in the person and where they came from, without it just being a stock French person, for instance?
0: Right. So I would say at least the two Americans, I felt pretty confident <laughs> writing. Um, one was from Kentucky and one was from uh, upstate New York, which is where I grew up. So I felt okay with that. Uh, my husband is Swedish. So I do have a Swedish character in there. Uh, I lived in Sweden last year. So that helped things as well. So I could could kind of bounce things off of him to make sure I was being culturally appropriate and all of that. Um, and then... I have, you know, an Australian character and I studied abroad in Australia. I have Australian friends. So that helps things. And then I will say my editor and my agent, um, both of them living in England, really helped with some of, you know, the dialogue issues with my British characters because (laughs) there were certain times where my editor was just, you know, I'm sorry, Sarah, but no one would ever say this. So that really helped me out.
1: And thinking about the location, setting it in an island off Thailand, fairly idyllic, um, how much did you think about very simply the words you were using on the page to bring it to life and do justice to these fantastic places?
0: Yeah, so it was a lot of kind of living in the past for me. Um to be honest, one of the reasons why I wrote this book was as a way, you know, in the pandemic, travel was completely off limits and travel is such a huge aspect of my life that it felt like something was seriously missing. Um, and so this was really kind of a way for me to return to my favorite destination, the fa- my favorite place I've ever traveled to. And so it was kind of a way for me to just relive my time in Thailand. Um, so I kind of just dug deep in everything that I remembered for some reason that trip is so crystal clear in my memory um, because I think I've been so attached to it since it happened. Uh, So I remembered a lot of that, you know, I went, you know, I I would say this is where the research did come in um, as far as uh, making sure I had the language right. And, you know, the, the typical Thai greeting and everything like that. Um, And I would say, talk, just looking back in my old photographs and and through all the pictures that I took while I was on the island was was a really great way for me to kind of get back into it. And then also one other thing is I travel bloggers. I mean, my um one of my primary narrators in the dive is a, is a travel influencer, uh, and to be honest, travel bloggers really did kind of help me return to this island. I followed, you know, a travel blogger who had lived on the island for for many years and who was who often wrote blogs about it and that really helped kind of making sure that I had the details of the island correct as well.
1: That's it for this week's episode of Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Sarah Oaks for coming on the show. That new book is The Dive. It is out right now. Uh, we will be back shortly with a brand new episode of the podcast. Until then, you can give us a follow on Twitter at writerspod. It's writersroutine.com too. Uh, you can spot us on patreon.com forward slash writersroutine and make sure you check out the Return of King Arthur series by Jacob Sanex. It's all over at jacobsanex.com. And I will see you soon with a brand new episode of the show. Until then, bye.